Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by the Religious Workforce Project. Building on previous research, this study is an unprecedented effort to understand the nation's religious workforce in a comprehensive way. The project includes a national meta-analysis and a qualitative study in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Funding for the project is generously provided by the Lilly Endowment, Incorporated. Learn more at religiousworkforce.com. And remember, to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information, please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. Can bivocational ministry be a strategic choice and not just a reluctant concession to financial constraints? In this episode, Ben Connolly shares how bivocational ministry can enhance collaboration, deepen engagement with the mission field, and even promote the personal spiritual growth of those who practice bivocational ministry. I'm Ann Michael. I'm a senior consultant with the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary. I'm one of the editors of Leading Ideas e-newsletter, and I am so pleased to be the host of this episode of Leading Ideas Talks. I'm talking today with Ben Connolly, who is founder of the Equipping Group, which provides resources and training to ministry leaders and church planters. He's one of the leaders of the Salt and Light community in Fort Worth, Texas, and he was a contributor to a recent book on bivocational ministry called Bivocational and Beyond. Uh, he himself has been a practitioner of bivocational ministry for the past 20 years, and that's the subject of our conversation today. So welcome to you, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Anne. I'm honored to be with you today and honored to get to, to learn from you as well as we chat. Yeah, thank you. So I wanted to begin uh, by saying that um, many people, particularly I think, I think in the mainline denominations, um, think of bivocational ministry as something that neither a pastor nor a congregation would choose, um, at least not for its principal leaders, unless it had to. It's a reluctant choice that's often made out of financial um, necessity. But other congregations and ministry leaders are opting for bivocational ministry as a strategic choice. Uh, and so I wanted uh, to ask if you could describe what that looks like in your own work in the faith community you serve. Yeah, that's a, I think you, you nailed it, uh, especially in our more Western uh, kind of still coming out of Christendom context, at least. Uh, yeah, the, the ideal, the kind of standard for church work is, is that it's full time. Um, and what's interesting is that a lot of places around the world, that's not as true. Um, and through history, that hasn't mm -hmm. been necessarily true as well. Uh, but it is certainly the norm for us. And so anything other than that, uh, even if it has been true globally and historically, doesn't feel like the norm for us. Um, and yet, I think for, for my own life, I stepped into bivocational ministry when we planted a church um, for one of the reasons you mentioned. I didn't want to put the whole burden of finances on our brand new little church plant. And of course, church planting is risky in a lot of ways, and finance is always a, a question for any church planter. And so one of the ways that, that I personally uh, chose to try to mitigate some of the risk there is to, to take a bivocational job. Um, 
I got to teach at a local university. And what ended up happening is I realized that while my motive for becoming bivocational was financial, all of these other really sweet things started happening as far as being able to engage a mission field. Um, I was spiritually formed even through that, through kind of having limited time and uh, kind of a split week, if I can say it like that. Um, and so for me, while the motive was very similar to what you described, what I personally experienced was just a whole lot of God's grace and unique benefits that, that came through intentionally pursuing bivocationality. And so I think you mentioned to me that at, uh, in the church context in which you're serving, that many people are serving bivocationally. Mm -hmm. um, can you describe what that looks like? Yeah. So at our church, we have uh, only two of us that are paid at all. Um, and I'm a day, day and a half a week. We have another woman who's paid a day, day and a half a week uh, to kind of carry some of the day-to-day the -day operations and quote unquote ministry load. Um, but then we have folks giving anywhere, you know, between flexible jobs and some of this kind of stuff. We have uh, a, a team of five or six folks who are able to give three, five, eight, ten hours a week, um, which which feels unique in some ways. But I think also in many of our churches, there would be folks who could offer mm -hmm. something and stay kind of in their lane and their in their specific area of gifting or passion. Uh, for five, six, 10 hours a week. Um, but a lot of times they don't, they don't know they can, they're not given the permission or they're not invited into that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have essentially a bivocational leadership team that would be, you know, more than a full-time person or two full-time people. Um, but it's everybody kind of bringing their best to the table. Um, mm -hmm. And really these, are, these are paid roles as distinct from volunteer leadership positions. Some are and some aren't. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So you even, have a hybrid of. We do have a little bit of a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and we've even kind of chose, and, and this is specific to us. This isn't necessarily a principle, but uh, uh, we've chosen to kind of uh, not really focus a ton on staff distinction versus non-staff because mm -hmm. of that, but rather kind of going like, hey, everyone has some spiritual gifting. And so could you bring your best to the body of Christ? Yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that idea. Um, Within your own ministry and your own context, um, what have been some of the benefits that you experience as a bivocational minister? You've mentioned yeah. a couple, but I, but I just wondered if we could explore that a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to, to dive into some of those even uh, that I did mention. Um, yeah, the first is like there, there has been some freedom for our churches to use finances differently. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've been able to, to just for clarity, I planted a church 12 years ago and it was bivocational the entire time. And then we planted another church about a year and a half ago um, and also in bivocational. So as I talk about our church, there is both some history uh, there and also some newness. Mm -hmm. So it may sound a little bit confusing, but um, but but in both churches, uh, we've been we've been able to to use some of the finances to bless the uh, neighborhoods that we've been meeting in, or to you know to kind of use the term benevolence, um, been able to to try to help folks in need, whether in our community or connected to to our mission field or this kind of stuff, in ways that if 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 I was pulling a full time salary, or somebody was pulling a full time salary, we wouldn't have as much capacity for. So there is a financial benefit, not just for me or the planter, but, but for the church to really use, mm -hmm. I can say it like this, God's money for, for God's mission is how we talk about it a lot. 
Um, and then I, I mentioned briefly that there's some, some spiritual implications. Um, I think that one of the biggest things I had to learn and, and a lot of bivocational leaders that I get to work with um, have to learn is, is, is that it takes a lot of humility um, to both say, I don't have mm-hmm. the literal capacity in a given week to carry everything. And I'm, I, I am, am unable therefore to, to carry out everything that a church or ministry needs. And so with that comes a reliance on others, which yeah. I think we would both say is an echo of a reliance on the spirit um, to do what only God can do. Um, and it's a laying down of self. And in some ways, it's a really beautiful limitation to go, no minister, no person is good at everything. And so right. I, I, I get to, is the glass is half full way to say it. I have to is the, is the yeah. right way to say it. Have to stay within the lanes that I'm gifted, and then entrust mm-hmm. entrust some of the ministry and mission to others who I know are gifted, but who might do it a little bit differently than myself. And so yeah, it seems like it really does promote collaboration as opposed to sort of the one leader, many follower model right. of of ministry. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned the the spiritual benefits of bivocational uh, ministry, that's the focus of the chapter you contributed to the book, Bivocational um, and Beyond. Uh, and you share there the results of some research you've undertaken that found that bivocational ministers often do experience personal spiritual growth. Um, and I, I take it that was an unexpected finding. Uh, and so I wanted to give you the opportunity to explain a little bit about that. Um, and what you learned and and why you think it's important. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think that you're right. It is it is the unexpected finding um, in, in our survey, which we just got, you know, hundreds of pages of, of data from, from bivocational ministers. Um, and nobody uh, said, I, I want to be bivocational for my own spiritual benefit. Um, it was always something like finances, whether the church or no. personal finances or, you know, um, uh, stage of life, it made the most sense for them, or they were working through school, or, you know, mm-hmm. it was all these kind of practical, uh, out, even mission, they wanted to mm-hmm. be vocational so they could be in the, in the world, and, uh, and not just in, the, in, in one person's word, not just kind of locked away in the church, um, so that's a lot of the motives, and if, if anybody listening, watching this uh, is bivocational or pursuing that, like, those are probably often, statistically, at least, a lot of the reasons that, mm-hmm. that we would think that, um, but what almost all of them found, uh, is, is that being bivocational did spiritually form them. They found it to be a personally sanctifying thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and some along the lines of what I've already mentioned, humility and dependence grows, uh, the need for a team, which is also just to say, I, I can't do everything on my own. I need others. Um, and then even, even sanctification to say there's a, there's not a separation, as one person said, between the holy and the unholy parts of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or by living incarnationally, uh, having a job in the quote secular world, like I'm, I'm practicing incarnational living, like Jesus did. And and one person even said, and I, I can resonate with this. It it reminds me of what everybody else in my congregation experiences day right. in, day out. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. It it, it does seem to. I mean, I've done a lot of work around more inclusive paradigms of ministry. I'm a lay person in professional ministry, which is one reason why I, I, that, that's an interest of mine. And, and I, I, I do think that we, the more, the more we rely on full-time clergy, 
the more we dichotomize the sacred and the secular because we think that the important spiritual work happens within the church as opposed as opposed to in the world and, and there's a lot of history around that you know especially with the protestant reformation and other things yeah. so it's a really interest interesting area um you know I've worked in part-time ministry roles, and uh, based on that experience, I've sometimes said to people, there's no such thing as part-time ministry. <laughs> uh, and, and I know that isn't true, uh, but I do think there's always a question about how people who are working part-time or bivocationally can set reasonable boundaries around what's expected of them and what they expect of themselves. And so I wondered if you could speak to that a bit. Yeah, I think that that is certainly, you're hitting on um, according to our results and just even experientially, I, I could say this, my wife would definitely tell you this, uh, the, the ministers we work with, time, time is the big question. Um, at the same time, um, I don't know that that's just true for, for bivocational ministers. I'm, I'm sure this is true for, for, I know it's true for professors. I know it's true for, you know, anyone outside of mm -hmm. uh, kind of shift work where you have a clock in clock out time. And, and even that, I think it's tough to be able to say, okay, I'm turning it on. I'm turning it off. Um, I don't know if that was as true 30 years ago before, you know, we were as connected as we are today or right. stuff, but certainly in today's world, everybody is pulled toward overwork toward, even some shame if you're not working or some, you know, undue shame for spending time with family or having a, having a life. Um, what's really interesting is that um, several bivocational ministers actually talk about how if, if folks in their congregations, if folks in their church families know that they have another role, right. there's actually been more protection of, right. of that time. Um, because just by kind of being overtly saying, hey, I have these days of the week to give to the church or this many hours a month to, to give to ministry, the others are, you know, working on cars or serving coffee or being a consultant or teaching or whatever else. The, the, the congregation generally responds well to that. Um, right. And so sometimes it's the full-time ministers who, who have a harder time whether their own expectations or others' expectations have a harder time turning it off because, well, you're my pastor, you're available 24 seven. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's probably right. And, and uh, you know, ha having a, ha if you are truly bivocational in the sense that you have other work or other responsibilities, you have to enforce a boundary in a way that someone who is um, a full-time minister, you know, may not, may not have to, or, or um, people may not think they have to. So yeah, that's right. And uh, even in that, you know, to go back to the personally sanctifying aspect of this, uh, sometimes that means that that person can't get a hold of you because you're at work. Mm -hmm. So they call a small group leader or just a, you know, a fellow right. follower of Jesus that they know. And that person helps walk them through whatever issue. Mm -hmm. And that's really beautiful like that's the you know it's, it's the priesthood of all believers it's what we want to see happen and yet for a lot of ministers it challenges our very identity and right. goes like oh no I, I like to be the one who helps see the light bulb go on um yes. and what does it do to me if somebody else does that in my stead um yeah. and so there's even some sanctifying moment there of, of mm -hmm. is my identity and my role is my identity and my my function with this person or or am I able to celebrate, hey, this is a really biblical thing. We've, we've equipped the saints for the work of ministry 
and and we're there doing the ministry. It doesn't it doesn't just rely on me. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful theoretically, but it's hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, be, beyond this issue of, of setting reasonable boundaries, what are some of the other common challenges or pitfalls that you find with the bivocational ministers that you train and coach? Yeah. Um, I mean, time, time really, truly is the, the biggest one, kind of that figuring out boundaries, figuring out what the balance is. Um, I think a subset of that is uh, figuring out what, what type of uh, second job or perhaps first job um, fits well. Um, so there are certainly jobs that are more flexible or jobs that you do have kind of set shifts or this kind of stuff. Um, and jobs that are more people oriented, like those, those kind of jobs typically fit well with bivocational mm-hmm. ministry. Um, but jobs that are a little bit more stringent time-wise, or you don't know which days of the week you're going to have to work or this kind of stuff, maybe they're, they're less people oriented. So you're not actually getting to live on mission. You're, you know, in the world, but not really in the world. <laughs> Um, if you will, the na- navigating the the type of job that can work well, um, I think is 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 all I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I think another difficulty is um, there's 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 some roles in church leadership uh, that can be more flexible, um, and, and some needs in church leadership that they can't. And so, in in the first church we planted, several of us were bivocational. But we realized we needed to bring kind of a shepherding, more of a counselor person onto full-time staff um, because, you know, I can, I can write a sermon at 11 p.m. if I need to, but it's hard, if not kind of shady, to say, hey, I'll meet you for counseling at 11, at 11 p.m. So, <laughs> um, so, so by, by recognizing there's, it's not for everyone and, mm-hmm. and there are certain roles that might, you know, church size and, and needs and this kind of stuff, different seasons, different assignments, uh, be holding it loosely and recognizing there, there might be a time or might be a, a, a season or might be some specific types of ministry that that are harder uh, to, to navigate if you're in a bivocational role. How about from the congregation's perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that a congregation needs to be mindful of or, yeah. or things that might be challenging? Yeah, I think the boundaries that we've already discussed a little bit, um, and, and some of that's just on the minister or ministers to to communicate well. Um, if there's if there's shame around being bivocational, and so you want to be available all the time, but you're just not, then then we on the on the ministry side, minister side of the table can can create some undue expectations that we are available whenever you want us when we're really not. Um, and so I think from the from the from the congregation's perspective, excuse me. Um, like just knowing and, and respecting those boundaries. Um, I think there is, this is a, this is a, a an, an ideal versus hard kind of thing, but there is both an ability to say, hey, I have a role to play in this church, not, not just the minister, not just the person um, on, the, on the stage or in the pulpit or uh, at the altar every week. Um, I have a role to play here. I'm a gifted person with, with gifts for ministry. And that can be a really beautiful thing. And also it's it's similarly not the norm in every church or every context. And so for some folks kind of moving out, for some congregational folks <clears throat> moving out of more of a consumeristic, I'm here to receive, what's the minister gonna give me? Um, that can be a challenge. Um, again, even if it is like theologically and biblically what we want to see it's not everyone's experience and so it can be a hard expectation 
Yeah, well, that, that, that actually leads to the, the next question that I, that I wanted to ask, because um, the Lewis Center is actually doing a really major um, study right now of changes in the religious workforce in America. And I, I think it's pretty widely known already that there are many sectors of the church that are seeing a rather significant increase in bivocational ministry. Um, and so you have churches that have relied on full-time clergy for decades who are now moving to a part-time or bivocational model, um, often as a consequence of declining membership. And I've also worked and talked with a lot of younger clergy who entered ministry. They entered seminary with the expectation that they would be serving full-time. And now they're having to shift gears and start to figure out what it might mean to pursue Mm -hmm. bivocational ministry. And I, I guess the question I wanted to ask is, what would you suggest to congregations or, or individuals who are having to, to begin to kind of shift their mindset and, 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 and sort of reframe their expectations about the, 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 way, the way ministry is carried out? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a, that's a really good, hard question, Anne. Um, there, if I can zoom out for just a moment, I, sure. I think one way to frame it is to say, like, what what where we're headed again kind of puts us more in the context of history and global Christi- historical and global Christianity than uh, than, than we than we realize. Um, and so, in, in other words, uh, I was in Australia this summer for three weeks, getting to serve with some churches. Uh, th- our summer, their winter, um, and. Uh, of the ministers and churches that we got to work with, and we probably got to be with 80 to 100 different ministers in, in a few different cities, um, only one that I met was full-time in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of us in, in U.S., North America context, you're like, wow, that, that feels like the, the bivocation is the exception rather than the norm. And what we experienced on you know the other side of the world, and I know this is not true of, of every single minister in Australia, but it is true of, of those that we've worked with of the 80 or 100, only one was was full time. And I think that's telling. Um, and I think that that is, is true, especially for more post-Christendom kind of countries and contexts, which is where we're, we're headed, undeniably where we're headed. Um, and so I, I, I think in saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say like what we're stepping into is more of the norm. Um, it is just, just a reality. And there'll always be exceptions to that rule. And so someone who's listening is goes, oh, great, I'm going to be the exception to the rule, then I'll be the full-time one. Um, but, but for many of us, we are headed in a direction where um, as, as the church has to be a little bit more movemental and less institutional, um, and as we reclaim more of a disciple-making ethos and more of a relational type of ministry, than just the full-time person on a platform or, or altar um, or pulpit, um, then, then it just is a reality. Um, but it's also the reality that we see in the scriptures and in the earliest church. Uh, right. So far as we can tell, um, there were some people supported for ministry, of course. Paul even talks about receiving support from a church, but we also know that he, you know, made literal tents where our, our theme of t- our, our term tent making comes from. Um, and, and so it really wasn't until kind of the unification of Roman Catholicism and the, the Roman government that we even saw kind of the 
profession of clergy in the first place. Um, and so again, like that is a really zoomed out historical philosophical thought, um, but, but where it becomes tangible is kind of saying where we're moving is, is both true of kind of history past and history future around the globe. And what we see in some of those context is, is some really sweet movements of God's church, um, not in spite of the fact that folks are bivocational, but because the fact that folks are bivocational and because mm -hmm. others are bringing their best to the table and because the, the priesthood of believers has been kind of activated. Um, and so I think it's a really hopeful thing, even if it's new for us, even if it's just something we haven't experienced in our country for a few hundred years. Yeah, I, I really love this very positive perspective that you're sharing on <laughs> vocational ministry. And, you know, you know, I can't help but but make you wonder whether maybe God isn't nudging the church back to the way that that it's intended to be. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are so many changes going on right now in, in the church environment. I, I, I think I've had this same conversation with people around around small church. I mean, you know, is, is this maybe a sign that God is pushing us back to, to what, what, how it, how it's supposed to be? Um, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. would you, you know, in, in terms of, of helping a congregation um, embrace that, would it be education or, um, I mean, how, how would you help a congregation really um, live into that more positive understanding of bivocational ministry? Yeah, I think, I mean, so every congregation is nuanced. So, um, but, but in general, um, I think it would start with helping um, every member of a congregation to understand and accept who they are in Christ. Um, and so it doesn't start with a um, minister versus congregation or lay versus clergy conversation. I think it starts with a, hey, what, what do the scriptures teach us about who we are? And, and what we find, among other things, is we're all saints. We're all gifted. We're a family. We're mission. We're all missionaries. We're all ministers of reconciliation. We can find all these identity statements, right, in in the in the scriptures. And if if we can help our congregations to see this is true of all of us, then then it even puts the the, the clergy, puts the minister, whatever term we want to put on that, um, it puts that in more of the, the context of, hey, this is a role that someone or someone's play mm -hmm. within our church. It's not their identity as pastor and my identity is just parishioner or whatever. If we're all missionaries, if we're all gifted by the spirit, then, then it helps folks understand, I, I have roles to play here. Yeah. Um, oh, excuse me. And that's, that's part of even why we haven't use like a ton of staff language for our, our own church contexts um, mm -hmm. of just trying to say, Hey, we're all, we're all members of the church family and we all have different roles in the family. Kind of like I'm a father and a husband in my family, but guess what? I have a, you know, newly 10 year old daughter and a, a 12 year old daughter and an eight year old son. And, and they have roles to play as well. And they look different, but they're all part of the family. And right. I don't just get to sit back and expect my eight year old son to do everything for me but neither does he expect me to do as much for him as I did when he was two. And so if we can, if we can kind of, you know, spiritualize that a little bit, because the church is the household of God, then a lot of it is really inviting people into playing their roles, using their giftings, yeah. being good members of the body. And then, then that can have an implication for, okay, well, what does leadership need to look like then? Yeah, I, 
this is sort of my own belief, but I've thought a lot about clericalism in, in, in the church and, and why it's such a potent um, force. And even though I think it's not scriptural, um, and I think our culture, I, I think it kind of seeps in from, from people's cultural expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so even though, you know, you can have a conversation about the scripture and history of the church, people still have this really strong um, cultural notion of, of, of what a pastor or a priest ought to be like from, I don't know, from what they see on TV or yeah. I, I don't know what, but it, it seems like such a strong um, impulse. I mean, I, I mean, I may be speaking from more of an institutional church perspective than yeah. what, than what, you know, you're, you're coming from, but. No, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, even the term by vocation, um, when most folks think of it, I think, I th I think that their perception is it means two jobs by vocation, mm -hmm. but that's not actually what vocation is. Right. And I think that's a huge part of this conversation that gets missed a lot is vocation is one's calling. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so again, like that's part of why helping a congregation navigate this is, 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 is excuse me, I'll restate that. Um, I think part of helping a congregation navigate this must start with who are we called to be together? Um, because if it's just about a job, then it's like, yeah. I can either be a doctor or a minister or a barista. Um, the, then it loses this God-ordained calling aspect of it. And there's a degree to which we're all called first to God and then to, to, to ministry and mission on some level. And so your, your point about clericalism is really, really poignant because th there's a degree to which we have to kind of help folks see that it's more than a job. Ministry is more than a job. And whatever job I have as a minister, I'm still first and foremost a, a child of God. I'm still first and foremost a gifted person of the spirit called to make disciples, empowered by the spirit to do so. But, but so are you if you're a teacher you are also a child of God. You're also gifted by the spirit called to make disciples and empowered to do so. And so are you, if you work at Starbucks or you work at, you know, KPMG or whatever, like we all have this vocation and we all have gifts and we're all mm -hmm. called to these things. If, if I happen to be paid part-time or full-time as a minister, it just means I have a few more hours to do what we're all called to do. Right. You have the privilege of, of being allowed to spend a bit more time on it. That's how I've always looked at it yeah. in, my, yeah. in my professional ministry, that I have a privilege because I have been in paid ministry roles to be able to spend more time. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that's a way to look at it instead of it being an entitlement mm -hmm. that you deserve to earn your living um, from the church. Yeah. Um, to, to begin to draw this to a close, um, I wanted to talk a bit about preparation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as someone who works in theological education, um, I think our seminaries are set up to train people for a model of ministry that I sometimes refer to as the chicken in every pot model. <laughs> um, and, okay. uh, you know, when I was in seminary, I was already in full-time lay professional ministry. I wasn't mm -hmm. preparing for ordination. And I was very aware of the ways in which the education that I was receiving implicitly assumed the model of a full-time solo pastor. Mm. Um, and I think that's changing, uh, but probably not as quickly as it should. Mm. Uh, so my question is, 
um, what can we do to better educate and train and equip people who might be ministering bivocationally? Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a hard question that I think every seminary, Bible college, institute of higher learning related to ministry is, is navigating right now, um, both in the U.S. and beyond. Um, I'm, I'm a believer in theological education. I have a few degrees from seminaries, so need to make that caveat before I answer. Um, I think that the what you mentioned and in your experience of being in, I'm going to say hands-on ministry, you said, you know, full-time professional um, lay ministry, but it's hands-on ministry. And, and I think that one of the dangers of uh, education, especially Christian education, can be that we develop the theory and theology of ministry. Um, but it, in, in my experience, I get to work with church planters and, and pastors and have gotten to help train 60 or 70 uh, church planters across the U.S. Um, and, and one of the hardest things that even those who are seminary trained experience during kind of our more tangible hands-on ministry training, uh, church planter residency, is translating that theory in, into practice. Um, and so the, the pull you out of ministry to train you for ministry model, <laughs> um, I, I won't say is, is implicitly broken, but it has some limitations for sure. Um, and, and especially folks who move from an undergrad degree, perhaps to a graduate degree, and then some even on to, you know, doctoral work or whatever else, postgrad work, um, without, without having the experience you had of actually sitting across from someone and wrestling through this issue with their child or this wound from a previous pastor, minister, or even from yourself that you said something on Sunday that was insensitive, that cut some deep pain. And, and like, even just the week in, week out preparing to preach or what a lot of ministers end up doing is like tech support for the website even, or, you know, the thing, the less glamorous yeah. sides of ministry. Um, and so I think just like being in an actual ministry context, church, parachurch, and not just a ministry context where you're getting the paid full-time pastor his coffee and calling that a residency or this kind of stuff, uh, but getting to work with that paid minister and, and see how she develops sermons or, you know, walking alongside folks when they're deep wounds. It, it, it takes the theory and, and theology mm. that can be so good from traditional education and, and actually helps equip folks more. This has been a fascinating conversation. Again, I really appreciate your very, your very positive, um, inspiring perspective on, on um, bivocational ministry. And uh, so grateful that you've taken the time to talk with me today. Yeah, thank you. I love the work that you guys are doing and I'm glad to be just this tiny part of it today. Yeah, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. You as well. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas.